All right. Hey, everyone. I'd like to welcome everyone who is watching again uh, via Facebook Live and Zoom. Uh, thank you for following along. Uh, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And although sports are on an indefinite hiatus right now, uh, there are certain things that we are still able to do. There's a lot of interesting stories still happening, a lot of interesting people to talk to. So while many things are on this COVID-19 break, we're lucky that we are able to continue bringing content uh, like we're doing today. And uh, today we're actually thrilled to be joined by a 2008 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Bob Rathbun. Bob is a six-time Virginia Sportscaster of the Year, winning those awards back in the 1980s while working for WTAR and doing play-by-play -play for the Tides, ODU Basketball, Hampton Roads Admirals. And then he was hired as sports director at WTKR Channel 3 uh, here locally. But since the mid-90s, he's made his home down in Atlanta, uh, where he's been the play-by-play -play announcer for the Hawks for the last 22 seasons, 23 seasons, Bob? It's, it's uh, up there now, just isn't just finishing it? up 24. Yep. 24 seasons, that's right. Among other duties, of course. Uh, and since that move, you've, uh, you've added two more Georgia Sportscaster of the Year awards to your resume. So, Bob, I want to thank you for taking the time out today to join us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, my time in Virginia was something I look back on fondly and think of it often and uh, have so many friends back in Hampton Roads. It's great to reconnect. Well, no, we're, we're happy that you can do that. And for those of you who aren't following him yet, go ahead and uh, follow him on Twitter, Bob Rathman TV. Um, so, Bob, you're obviously not in a broadcast studio right now. So kind of take us through the day in the life of a quarantine broadcaster these days. <laughs> Oh, it's pretty much like everybody else. You know, I'm down here in the sports cave uh, where I do the game prep uh, for the Hawks games and ACC basketball, what have you. Uh, and it's funny, Will, my day uh, from wake up time to like five o'clock is really unchanged because I do most of my work here. Uh, I don't have an office at Fox to have to go to and what time I do spend at the Hawks uh, facility. Um, I have a little working space there, but predominantly I work out of my home. So uh, here we are. Uh, I've got a couple of dogs with me that they're out of camera vision right now, Hero and Sophie, and they're joining us as well on the floor, but silent contributors at the, at the moment. Uh, but my day uh, is pretty much the same, except for not getting ready for the games, but going through the clippings and the video and what have you, I do that here. With the big change, of course, is not traveling, and not going to the arena, uh, going downtown to State Farm Arena, going to an ACC venue has all come to a screeching halt. And I'm in that regard, just like everybody else, you know, we're trying to stay home and, and keep ourselves and our families safe and, and those uh, in our community safe. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, I think, well, one of the oddest things about this particular time that we're going through, you know, Americans, uh, no matter what the crisis has been, uh, we've always been a roll up your sleeve and let's pitch in and help our neighbors get over this. You know, if it's a tornado or a hurricane or 9-11, a world war, you name it, uh, we've always answered the call. And we want to do it here, but we can't. You know, this is an enemy that we can't see, touch, uh, feel, uh, and our job is to stay home. And that's different for us as a people and as a, as a society. So, you know, I'm in this weird time, just like you guys are, and I try to make the most of it. You know, it, weird is the word that just kind of keeps getting thrown out. And I, I think that's just because there's really no other way to describe it. Um, you mentioned that 
in, in what you do, it's a lot of it is kind of prep work offsite, but then you actually go and do the games. Uh, what kind of communication are you getting from the team, from the league right now, as far as you know what the next steps are? And I know that there might not be answers to those questions, and there, way, there may be way more questions than answers. Yeah, we're still sort of in a holding pattern. Uh, when the league came to a screeching halt back on March the 11th, uh, we had just uh, implemented our safe distancing for the press, for the teams, the locker rooms were closed. And that was our first game under the new restrictions. And so we were just sort of getting used to that. We knew the next night at San Francisco, the Brooklyn Golden State game was not going to be uh, it was going to be staged, but with no fans. So we we sort of got a feeling as to what was coming. And uh, by the time that we left the arena uh, that night, we the Hawks played the Knicks here in town. And by the time we got done and left around 11, 1130, you know, our whole world had changed. And really since then, well, we haven't gotten a whole lot of direction. Now the team uh, the Hawks have been a leader in the NBA and, and really in all of sports uh, in embracing this time to help as many as can. We're all uh, through restaurant associations, meals for first responders and hospital workers to uh, so they can get a good meal after a you know 12 hour shift or what have you. Uh, and the Hawks have been instrumental in that. We're setting up neighborhood supermarkets to where families can get fresh food, fresh fruit, vegetables, et cetera. Uh, they, if their supermarket is a ways away and they can't get there, perhaps using public transportation. So we've been pitching in and doing that. But other than that, uh, not much. You know, uh, we have 15 players on our roster. 11 of the guys are in town. Uh, four have gone back to their permanent homes, uh, trying best they can to stay in shape because the directive we were given from the league is this is just a suspension of play. We're not canceling games. We're, we're just in a holding pattern. And I think that will continue for the next few weeks. Uh, as you know, our nation is under a lockdown till the end of the month. And here in Atlanta and the state of Georgia, we've just implemented a stay-at-home uh, restriction. So we're just in a week to two-week, three-week period of time where we know we're going to be here. But I am of the opinion, uh, trying to read the tea leaves best I can, that we're going to try to play. We are going to make every effort uh, to try to get the games in, try to finish the regular season in some form or fashion, and conduct a playoff. Um, and the reason I say that is I, I think basketball is the one sport that we can do it and pull it off in a quarantine situation. Uh, I think there's uh, considerable talk at the league level as to how can we pull this off? How could we move 30 teams, players, coaches, support staff uh, to a a quarantine site that we can have strict control over, make sure everybody's healthy uh, and carry forth. Now we're talking about you know, probably two months down the road, end of May, 1st of June before this could happen. But I know the league is in discussions with uh, the appropriate parties to how do we pull this off? So I, I think in t the televising of the games uh, will be done with no fans, but I think the games will still be played. I'm not ready to give up hope yet. I think that, uh, the NBA will be the first of the major sports back to play. I think maybe hockey uh, will follow suit. Uh, they've got a little more difficult because they've got to find an ice surface. We could just plop down a basketball court in the middle of a ballroom if we had to. 
uh, and then baseball will follow. Uh, but again, I think all of these events uh, for the time being will be played with no fans. That's sort of, you know, a long-winded response to your, your question, but I think that's kind of where we stand right now. No, I, I agree. And for those who are watching on Facebook Live right now, I apologize. There's a, maybe a little bit of a delay on the video. We're trying to work those out, but the conversation is still going. So, so please, if you have questions, please chime in. But I want to kind of touch on two things that you just mentioned. One, from my perspective, watching sports, and I wouldn't be in this role if I didn't love sports. So I really love all sports. But really, since you know the, the end of David Stern's tenure into Adam Silver's tenure, the NBA has really taken on a we are going to be proactive in time of crisis as opposed to reactive. So I, I really am taking my cues for the sports world from the NBA. Is that a fair assertion? Oh, no question. And I think it started with David, too. When you, if you go back to the Magic Johnson aid situation, uh, the NBA has always been a leader, uh, whether it's on the uh, uh, race relations front, social media front. Uh, we've always been at the cutting edge, and I don't think that's changed uh, now. And I think Adam uh, is following suit uh, in a proactive way. Uh, we're, we're constantly thinking of ways to engage our fans, uh, both at, in the arena, uh, through uh, events like this, you know, I think ESPN tomorrow night staging a 2K tournament. Uh, Trey Young of the Hawks is going to be one of the players. Kevin Durant and several other of the big stars are going to participate. So we're always trying to find ways uh, to keep our fan commitment. You know, the NBA, uh, Will, is just not this country in North America with Toronto. I mean, it's, it's a worldwide uh, sport. It's second only to soccer in its popularity and no sport in this country has the social media reach that the NBA has. Uh, and they're using that platform for, for good. And uh, I'm proud to be a, a, a part of it and associated with them. And uh, it's great to see them uh, so active. Now, the second part that I, I wanted to address is the idea that you just threw out of not just starting the games again, but maybe doing it in a very controlled environment. Because I think the biggest thing that people are gonna be looking at is you can't just go from having nobody be allowed to be there to 20,000 people be allowed to be there. So what is that gradual buildup? And is, is that really a, a significant, not a significant, but is that a viable option that is on the table right now of taking all of this support staff and all these players to one location and trying to finish out the season? And if not the season, at least get the playoffs. Right. Uh, well, I, I do think it's a, a viable alternative, and it, every idea is being considered. Uh, they've talked about maybe there's a West uh, location, something like Vegas. Uh, you take one of these hotels that's been shut down, that's got a big convention center attached, where you could actually lock everybody down. Nobody comes in, goes out. It's all controlled. Uh, maybe one in the Midwest uh in the plain states, you know, I've heard Louisville talked about, I've heard St. Louis talked about, maybe go to a college campus that has been uh, uh, closed, uh, that you could, you could have a, a lockdown situation. Uh, all of this is being discussed. Nothing has been remotely formalized. These are just yeah. ideas. And um, I, I just think, knowing the league, that we could pull this off. Uh, you know, you're you're not talking about having fans at these games. Uh, you're just talking about playing the games, setting up maybe robotic cameras uh, to televise it. Uh, 
I don't think I would even go if the Hawks were playing in, say, Las Vegas. Uh, I think we would get a television feed back, back here to Atlanta. And uh, my partner is Dominique Wilkins, the Hall of Famer, and I think he and I would broadcast the game from our Atlanta studio. Uh, so I don't even think we would go. Uh, it would be the players, the coaches, the athletic performance team, the trainers, et cetera, and that's it. I think those are the only people that would be there. And then a, a checklist of items to go through. What if somebody has a fever? What if, uh, you know, all the eventualities. Uh, they would not stage anything unless it were uh, as safe as it could possibly be. But I do think that those discussions are being held right now. And, uh, you know, we'd obviously love to be playing in our home arenas. And, uh, you know, at, at some point the fans are going to be back. But I, this is the one sport I think that can pull it off. Now, baseball, you know, that's a different dynamic. You, you got a lot more people involved. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, it's going to take some doing to get those guys because they've got to have, they got to resume spring training. They've got to get back to get the pitcher's arms ready and the hitter's timing down and all that. Our guys, you know, after a week, 10 days, they're probably going to be ready to go. Uh, you know, shopped up and get some team workouts in, and I think we'll be we'll be ready to play. And football, that's an even bigger question in my mind, uh, because particularly college football, uh, you've got to get these campuses open before anything can happen. And I'm not sure when that's going to be. And if you can't get these campuses open by August the 1st, uh, that means soccer, field hockey, football, all the fall sports are going to be delayed. So uh, I do think the NBA is going to be one of the first ones back. Pro sports will lead uh, the comeback. And I think it's goodwill for the country. Uh, we're all sports fans in some regard. Uh, it could be supporting your grandchildren at a, at a five-year-old soccer match or it's uh, high school sports college, professional. Uh, sports is such a huge part of our culture. And I think much like baseball did in World War II, uh, it can be a real salve for the country. Uh, have the games on, have something to talk about, take our attention off of this and uh, try to, to uh, make that the first step in getting back to normal. But you just mentioned that sports has always played kind of a, a role in the recovery from a crisis, whether that's a war, whether that was 9-11, uh, you know, other other things that have popped up uh, or happened in the history of our country, there's always we've always been able to rally around sports. And I think knowing as a sports fan, it's just it will be nice to see something live as opposed to all the ESPN classics, although they have been fun to watch recently. Uh, but, you know, looking ahead. Uh, this season in the NBA in particular has actually been one of the more intriguing in the last decade yeah. because of the fact that there's six to eight teams that have a legit shot of, of winning the title, or at least can say, you know, we believe we can win the championship. Mm -hmm. Does that number expand or does that stay the same or does it shrink if we get back to a situation where we're playing a, a playoff scenario? Well, that's a great question because my initial thought is it would expand the number of teams. And the reason I say that is I don't think we'll see best of seven series. Uh, you know, the NBA is odd in this regard. Like, it, forget about the pandemic for a minute, but if we were just talking as at normal times in sports, if I asked you, well, who do you think is going to win the Final Four? Uh, it could be one of 20 teams, as, as the way college basketball is going this year. If I said, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl next year? No idea. Who do you think is going to win the college football championship? Really don't know. But in the NBA, we know 
before we throw the first ball up in October. And I think this is not a good thing, but we kind of know who the best teams are going to be before we ever get started. And one of the reasons that you rarely see an upset in the NBA playoffs, like you do March Madness and some other sports, hockey, for example, is that the best of seven series is the great neutralizer. Over time, over two weeks, seven games, the better team is going to win probably nine out of 10. Uh, rare do you see a top seed have any difficulty in that first round and even rarer still is an upset. But for this, I've read where the first round might be best of three, might be best of five. And when you reduce the number of games, the possibility for an upset is greater. So if, if it does end up that the first round is say a best of five or even a best of three, buddy, anybody can win because these are pro players. These are going to be 16 of the best teams in the world going at it. And to think that they couldn't win two out of three against a, a, a better club uh, happens all the time uh, during the regular season. So uh, I would think to answer your question, the possibilities would be greater for a new champion rather than same old, same old with just the best teams competing at the end. Well, that excites me because I, I love competition. And, you know, it, while it was fun watching the Warriors and Cavs all those years, you, you pretty much knew it was going to be the Warriors and Cavs. So let's get through the first 82 games. Let's get through the first three rounds and the playoffs and let's just get right. to the finals. Uh, but but th this is I like that scenario, actually, at least for, you know, a one a one off. But worst uh -huh. case scenario, uh -huh. we can't get it going this year. Is there a is there a potential scenario in the future where seasons are now shifted? And I, I've heard people talk about shifting the start of the NBA calendar to Christmas Day. And could that be a permanent solution? That has been talked about. In fact, our CEO, Steve Coonan of the Hawks, has been leading that charge. Uh, he was a clinician at the uh, Boston uh, Analytics Conference, and that was his uh, topic, uh, and, and they had a lengthy discussion about it. I think we might see it down the road. I don't think we'll see it uh, come this year. Now, again, if we get pushed back and don't play and finish up until September, then we might do it on a one-year trial just to give the guys some semblance of an offseason. But I, I don't think so uh, right now. I don't think there's an appetite to shift it that drastically. Now, could we move it back to Thanksgiving start? Uh, maybe. Uh, the big topic of discussion in Boston with, with our Steve Coonan was uh, football dominates so much of the fall uh, lead up to Christmas time, to the holidays, that we're better off not sharing uh, the sports world with the National Football League. I'm not sure I agree with that totally. I, you know, the NFL has basically played uh, on Sunday. Yes, they do have Thursday and Monday nights, but but basically it's a weekend uh, attraction. Uh, there's seven days in the week, and we could certainly play around that as we have done low these many years. So uh, from ownership around the league, I don't get the feeling right now that we might shift it. But there will be no greater time to experiment than this. Uh, and I think that's true for all sports. You know, uh, you know, maybe baseball. Um, there's no magic in a 162-game schedule. There's no magic in an 82-game NBA schedule. We may find that 
we could do lesser games. Uh, maybe you play 120 baseball games, and that's plenty for a major league season. I think all these things, all these theories are going to be tested out here coming up. Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned it earlier as well. Baseball is probably the one that will have the hardest time just because of the fact that the games are played outdoors. Now, football can play through all the elements, but baseball gets rained out. Baseball gets snowed out. So what happens when you start moving into these Northeast cities in November, October, November, December, potentially even January? The indoor sports, I think, can adapt, but it's a matter of who, what uh, portion of the sports calendar do you have and do you have the, the attention of the sports fans? Um, you know, attention is something that the NBA is getting a ton of these days because it seems that every year another two or three players really steps up and kind of introduces themselves to the NBA, to the sports psyche, to, to sports fans in general. One of those is, is on your team that you covered, Trey Young. You know, you look at what Trey Young and Luka Doncic have done this year uh, as far as just kind of taking that next step. What is the ceiling for a guy like Trey Young? I know the wins and losses are, the wins aren't there yet, but a guy like Trey Young, what is his ceiling in the NBA? I do think he's just starting to scratch the surface. I think that his game 29 is 29 and a half points a game and he's scratching the better, surface. <laughs> uh, people, I, I think uh, his game is just evolving. I think his numbers may not shoot up yeah. from where they are this year dramatically going forward. Like he's not going to average 35 a game and 15 assists a game. As we get better around him, I think his numbers actually might come down some. But I do think what will happen is his turnover numbers will go down and he'll be a much more efficient basketball player. As we get better with this young core around him, uh, I think his numbers uh, will lessen to some degree, but he'll be a better player. I, I'm not one of those people that bases uh, worth on stats. Uh, it's still a team game. He's still got to be the leader at that point guard position. And as we get better around him, I think uh, things will change for Trey. But his impact on the game uh, is going to grow exponentially. Uh, when you've got a guy that can shoot with the range that he shoots from, can make passes like he can make, uh, you can freeze a defense like very few players can in this league. He's different. He's the smallest kid out there. Uh, his skills are off the chart in terms of his floor vision, the depth of his shooting. And that makes him a unique scorer. And it's up to the Hawks now uh, to use those talents and those skills and build that club around him. But he's off to a great start, and uh, the wins will come, no question. Well, one of those players, and I'd get crushed if I didn't ask about him, is a UVA guy, DeAndre Hunter. Uh, talk uh, about his rookie year. He's, he's really kind of put together a, a, and formed a nice right. little role in that team. He's played 63 games, averaging 32 minutes, 12 points. Talk about what you've seen from DeAndre. Well, we love DeAndre Hunter down here in Atlanta. There's no doubt about that. He is uh, like he was in Virginia, a sort of a steady Eddie guy. Uh, he's not going to be one that's going to be, you know, a huge scorer, although he'll have his nights. Uh, he's not going to be somebody that leads the league in steals, for example, something like that. I think he's just going to give you that baseline. I can guard anybody night in and night out. I can score when I need to type of player. And he'll have a beautiful career doing just that I think the one thing with with DeAndre is we've got to figure out uh we the Hawks we've got to figure out where's the best place to play him uh, should he be at small forward should he be at the four spot uh, how do we best 
use the talents of DeAndre Hunter both at both ends of the floor. And I think that's sort of what we were starting to learn as this season unfolded is to, okay, I like that. DeAndre can do this. Let's try him here. Let's try him over there. And then when we get to the end, sort of see where we are with him and how he best fits in. But uh, we love him. He's going to have a great career. Definitely. Uh, the, the NBA is, is one of the, my favorite leagues to watch because of that young infusion of talent. And like you said, it's the global game. So it's coming from everywhere. Uh, great personalities, great talent, great coaches as well. Um, you've covered a lot of sports in your day. Uh, you know, you, you were the, you did uh, Braves baseball for 10 years. You did the Tigers for a few years. As, as I mentioned, you did college basketball, hockey, everything up here. Uh, how is it that basketball kind of became your bread and butter? Well, you know, it's funny. I've always done baseball and basketball um, throughout my entire career. Um, when I started, I did everything. Uh, when I was in uh, Hampton Roads, you know, Tides, Old Dominion, uh, William & Mary football, uh, Admirals hockey, you know, just did it all. And even when I went to Detroit in 92, uh, I still kept doing ACC basketball. Uh, and I've done that for 31 years. So I've always done basketball throughout. The reason I don't do the Braves anymore is that the, the packages that we air down here uh, got to be so monstrous that there's no way anybody could do two. Uh, the overlap was too great. And my last year of Braves, uh, I was going full time. So I did, I went from doing a full season of the NBA and then we picked up the exclusive rights to cable for all the Braves games in May, I'm trying to think what year it was, 2000, 2006. And so from May 1st to the end of September, I did every Braves game. And then with one week off, started training camp with the Hawks. And, uh, you know, my bosses <laughs> said, you know what, we love you, but you're going to keel over if you're trying to do all this, let's just put you on the Hawks. And because I've done the Hawks more in Atlanta than any, anything else, uh, my identification was with the Hawks. And so that's what basketball sort of chose me uh, in that regard. And we've been doing every Hawks game ever since. Well, Leslie just chimed in and she says she misses you as the voice of the ODU Monarch. So you still have some uh, fans up here in Virginia. <laughs> uh, thank speaking you. speaking thank of you. those I, days though, Speaking of those days, covering ODU, the Tides, and the Admirals, there were some personalities that came through this area. You, Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, John Brophy. Was there one person that stuck out to you in, in your time up here in Southeastern Virginia? John Brophy, without question. <laughs> uh, I had never done hockey before. I'd always been a hockey fan, but I had never done hockey. And you know, Blake Cullen, who is such a dear friend, uh, asked me to do the games. And I said, well, buddy, I'd, I'd love to, but I've never done it. And we got WTAR involved and uh, we still had Old Dominion commitments. Uh, so we would just do the Admirals when we could. Uh, they were not on every every night. And uh, when John was hired, uh, summertime, late summer, and I said, uh, Coach, you, you got to teach me, <laughs> you know, this game. Uh, you know, talk to me about penalty kills and power plays and how do you put a squad together and how do you organize the lines and what's your checking line and what's all, all this stuff. So he just sat down uh, with me 
uh, over lunch one day and he just, we just talked hockey. And if anybody remembers John and remembers what we went through building up an expansion team to a championship team in just a few short years, all because of John Brophy. Uh He was one of the greatest characters I have ever been around in broadcasting, in sports, in life. It was unbelievable. Uh, what a character. I mean, this is the kind of guy, I mean, they wrote a book about him here about a year ago. I, I hope you have a copy of it. Uh, it, it is just an amazing story of a guy who was here uh, in, in Hampton uh, with the Aces, and then Blake had the great foresight to bring him back, and it was, it was one of the most unbelievable rides of, of my career. But nobody, nobody can touch this guy. I mean, the stories he told, the way he acted, opening night, he's trying to climb over the glass and, and uh, go after the Roanoke coach. I mean, it, was, it was great theater. Uh, and, and I will never forget it. He was, he was by far the, the biggest character I've ever run across. Well, these are stories that are still told to this day, and, and we're happy that you were able to corroborate them so we know that they're not all, not all fake. Uh, people ha aren't embellishing. But, Bob, it's been a pleasure catching up with you today. I know that you have another interview to, to scoot to in about a half hour, so I'll let you get ready for that. But uh, hopefully we can see and hear your voice again soon uh, with hopefully the NBA resumes, and, and hopefully you stay safe and healthy. Well, we shall, and my, my best to you in the Hall of Fame, and you know anything I could do to help uh, on a phone call away, or in these days, I guess, a text away. So uh, reach out, uh, and to all the all my friends and fans in, in Hampton Roads, uh, love you guys, I guys so much. I follow Old Dominion uh, every day, uh, the men and the women, uh, they're in the, of course we had Kent Bazemore is a lot easier, yep. uh, getting an ODU update, but, um, uh, I followed the Monarchs and the Lady Monarchs all the time. And, uh, I think about Hampton Roads. That was, uh, what a great time I had. And I'm very thankful for all the good things that came my way. All the best. Well, we thank you, Bob. And again, you can follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Rathbun TV. And if you have NBA league pass, you can even see and hear him once the NBA gets uh, kicked up again. But I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in. There were a few people who chimed in as well. Thank you for your comments. And uh, I know that a few of you missed Bob, but again, you can find him on, a, on a Fox Sports Southeast. I'd always like to thank our partners, uh, Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, and ESPN Radio. Uh, you'll be able to find this interview on our video section of Facebook, uh, but be sure to follow us on all of our platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at VA Sports HOF. If you want to check out our Hall Call podcast, go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or to our website, basportshof.com. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll. He's Bob Rathman. I hope everyone stays safe and healthy, and thanks for joining us today.